todo el mundo. Hello, I'm Nipper Reed. And I'm Phil Wolf. So, settle down, have a nice cup of tea, and enjoy the Venomous Exchange Radio Podcast. Crumpets, Nipper. I want the crumpets. Well, as you've been such an extraordinarily good boy. Gild us with that lovely voice of yours. Okie dokie. Hello, folks, and welcome to episode four of the Venom Exchange radio podcast. Thanks for still being with us. Uh, thanks to my lovely co-host, the rather splendid Phil Wolf. And today... We don't have a guest, it's just going to be Phil and I having a little bit of a catch-up and talking about all things venomous that have occurred to us over the last few weeks. How's it going, so, brother? It's, go- it's going well. Um, work has been ridiculously busy. I can only um, imagine. It has been crazy, uh, and I'm craving spending time in the snake building at the moment. Um, oftentimes... It's a chore, but when you can't get to do it, I just want some clear time to start going through everything. And I've got new racking. I've moved cages around. I've sold some animals. I've got new animals that are in temporary cages. I've got a lot to do. I need to take about a week off work and really uh, sort it all out to have that lovely feeling where you walk into your snake building and it's all absolutely tip top and tucked in. Yeah. Um, on top of that, I'm starting to plan field herping trips with Corona, and I don't want to jinx it for everybody, but with Corona sort of lifting a little bit, maybe, and airlines, sure. airlines are now advertising flights again. I've got some trips planned for various species. Excellent. So, that's what's filling my time at the moment. I've, it's also the breeding seasons are coming up and trying to decide pairings. What I'm going to breed, what I'm not going to breed, what I'm going to move on. It's that wonderful time of the year. It is. And it's funny that, you know, I had just mentioned before we pressed record, I said, you know, hey, do you have a ceiling fan on? Because I just turned mine off because I feel like it was putting a, a, a breeze on the microphone, so to speak. And and Nipper laughed at me because it's, uh, what did you say, it was negative two by you? It is, as we would say in the UK, it's minus two at the moment. Minus two, forgive me. It's cold as a bucket of penguin shit here. Um, and it's miserable. I don't. I generally don't think in America you have the same style of weather that we have. No. We have, we have cold drizzle, so we have cold rain. It's just so unpleasant. It just gets into everything, and it's just... We've got about half an hour of daylight... Um, yeah, I think sunrise at the minute is about half past eight in the morning and it starts getting dark about half past four. It's just miserable. So for those that are unaware of doing the conversion, um, if you do, you said it was minus two? Yeah. So that's 35.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And currently where I am, it is 72 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 22.2 degrees Celsius. And that's one of the many reasons why I hate you. (laughs) Oh, man. And it's funny because last night it was perfect road cruising weather. It was like 65, 68. And I was thinking, man, I just I don't want to go because 
I probably won't see anything. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I am. I mean, I know we've had this conversation on and off air, but I am so desperate to get out field herping again. Corona yeah. has, I mean, you know, as we've said before, Corona, lots of people died. It was very sad. But the most important thing is I haven't been able to get out field herping. <laughs> yes. So true. And, so true. And now I'm, planning trips it's even worse it's like i can see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel um, sure so the first trip will be romania stroke bulgaria um for those of you that geography is not your thing romania and bulgaria european countries they border the ukraine in russia uh, and they border turkey so the species range in those two countries is phenomenal you kind of get the best of both worlds as it were um some fantastic uh vipers in those countries you're looking at uh, vipira nikolsky vipira renardi um the one that everybody likes uh, vipira amadites um just absolutely stunning there's some oh vipira berus as well obviously and you know the further you go You've even got some of the bigger ones, like it, once you go into Greece, you've got uh, Vipira and Xanthina, which is the biggest venomous snake in Europe. Yeah, awesome. Um, oh, you know, I just cannot wait to touch down in another country and actually have nothing to do but field herp. It will be amazing. And yeah. ho hopefully there's four species in those two countries, which will bring my Euro list down to two species and then um, I'm planning on a trip to Milos, which is an island um, in Greece, one of the Cyclades islands in Greece, um, which is famous for vipers. It's got a species of viper endemic to that one island, um, which is Vipira schweizeri, um, or blunt-nosed viper. Um, sometimes it's a full species, sometimes it's lumped in with the blunt-nosed viper, Vipira libertina. Um, but it's a beautiful viper probably at two and a half foot coral pink in some cases really big head almost specifically a bird feeder um so i need that's i need to go i've seen the blunt nose viper in cyprus but i haven't seen the one specific to that particular greek island awesome so, so that's my september trip and as you know in june i'm hoping to hit the united states for the first time in many years and uh, yeah do a, a trip with uh, the wonderful eric burke and um rob stone um mr julander and all those good people and go rattlesnake hunting we've got a tick list of 13 species oh, rob's done his usual fantastic work as he always does um so yeah and obviously the top species on that trip for me will be my Number one American species, which is uh, Willardi, Protolus Willardi, original viper, original rattlesnake. I will be giddy if I see one of those. It's something I've wanted to see for well twenty odd years. So uh, excellent! I'm super excited. I'm packed already. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm rather disappointed. My uh, my work is impeding me from going. So. I will be with you boys every step of the way in both mind, spirit, and on the phone. So. Oh, mate, I'll be taunting you with photographs. If we find anything, you'll literally be the second person to know. Um, <laughs> yes, that's awesome. But, 
but in the, in that little area, there's so many fantastic rattlesnakes. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got um, Willardi, but you've got Price's Eye as well. Um, you've got Cerberus. You've got Serastes. There's just some crackers there. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Pyrus, Gatadas, Mal- yeah, Malorus. Oh, yeah. I believe Clouds. Will Clouds be there? Clouds will be uh, there. Yeah, but I don't know if you guys are going that far south. No, okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you guys are actually going because you guys are flying into Phoenix this time, correct? Yeah, we. Uh, the last trip that I couldn't go on because of COVID um, was they, they flew into Tucson. Um, yeah. But this, this time we're going to Phoenix. Okay. Well, so, then, yeah. If you, you guys go south enough, then uh, you'll find it. And you're right in, yeah. you're you're right on the edge of the Mojave, so you're in business. Yeah. It'll be a hell of a trip. Hell of a trip. I, Cannot wait, mate. I cannot wait. And just wait, because you know, Justin and Rob, they have a very closet affinity for small lizards. Oh man. We've never heard of, we've never seen. So any of the swift stuff, the earless stuff, any of the scalopperous stuff, they're all about it. And when we were in West Texas, they would take 15, 20 minutes to photograph a lizard that you and I would go, eh, it's brown, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you seeing it there and, and, and seeing the the vividness of the colors and the, the camouflage and it makes you fall in love with those lizards too. So <clears throat> excuse me, even though we're rattlesnake guys, we're, we're we're snake guys at heart, it's gonna be very cool for you to see the first oh. time the first time you see a chuckwalla in the wild, Mine. you're gonna be like, Man, why is that rock running so fast? And yeah. you'll, you'll have to get closer. Because it's amazing. Well, you, you, obviously, we both have other great love apart from venomous is geckos. Yes, uh, yes. And you know, I, I keep colonics at home. Yes. Um, and I keep brevis at home. Um, to see those in the wild, any colonics in the wild, again, will blow me away. It's the same as anything, whatever species you keep. When you come, when you finally come to Israel with me, yes. um, and you see Serestes Serestes or Serestes Vipira or Pseudocerestes fieldi, as you have now. Yes. All these things that you keep, when you see them in their natural habitat, mate, you'll lose your shit. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I, I hope you take notes on everything that you, you know, encounter. Oh, I, I am super geeky. I am proper yeah. Victorian. When I go uh, on a field herping trip, I do look like some Victorian explorer because I have a moleskin notebook. Oh, God. I'm envious of your lifestyle. <laughs> and uh, I will literally, for everything I see that, you know, if I particularly if I keep, I will keep a, a proper trip record of every species because, as you're well aware, I've done so many trips and thought, oh, I've seen that snake in a different country. It's the same snake. I'm not bothered. And then you come back and somebody writes a paper and that becomes a new species and you have no photographs of it. Yeah. So I'm very, very, very careful to photograph literally everything because you never know. And I've had, over the years, I've had loads of armchair ticks where I'm sat at home and then someone will ping you. Have you seen this new paper? You think, oh, yeah, that's a new species I've seen. I've, I've already got the pictures for it. Yeah. Um, but if, if there's anything like the, the colonics or if we find any king snakes, because I keep um, pyromelana, uh, no block eye. Um, I will be taking detailed, you know, what's the soil like? What's the temperature where they were basking? What's the temperature in the rock crevices? What's the temperatures on top of the rocks? What's the temperatures underneath the rocks? Oh, what's yeah. the, you know, what's the humidity like? Literally everything. Yeah. And, and it's awesome because 
uh, when we went to West Texas, Eric brought the UV index reader. He brought the yeah. ambient temperature reader, the te- obviously the temp gun and, you know, GPS uh, positioning device, just so you know exactly where you are, because Google Maps may not work where you're at, you know, 100 percent. So uh, that's very exciting, man. It's going to be a great fucking trip. Uh, uh, I just I'm jealous. Uh, I'm gutted you can't come, mate. Uh, generally, I, I know. Actually gutted. It's, uh, but you know, it is what it is. You just have to get your ass over to Europe and we can go and look at Vipers in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just had a friend uh, get back from Madrid. He took his wife and kid there just for a family getaway. And he's telling me about all the you know museums and galleries and, and the restaurants. And I asked him, I was like, well, did you get out into the wilderness at all? He's like, no, no, that's the next trip, blah, blah, blah. So we'll definitely, uh, I have Spain on the mind now, too. It's not a priority um, as of yet, but. Spain, it, I, I've got some superb sites in Spain for Vipers. Um, awesome. You've got uh, Vipera Serrani, and you've got Vipera Aspis, and you've got Vipera Latest, and um, particularly Serrani, the color difference in one locality, you'd think you've probably got five different vipers. Really? Um, you get you get the con color ones, you get the striped ones, you'll get spotted ones. The, the, just different phenotypes is absolutely amazing. That's they awesome. are stunning. One of the most beautiful vipers in the world, I th- in, in my humble opinion. Um, and Spain's a joy to travel around as well. The food's great. Yeah. You know, um, the scenery is incredible. The mountain ranges are absolutely fantastic. There's so many species. I mean, Spain is probably, for Central Europe, is probably the epicenter for herping. And it's crazy because I'm a spaghetti Western freak. (laughs) I love spaghetti Westerns. And the majority of them, they were all filmed in Spain. So I kind of want to go see some of those old historic railway stations and, you know, cowboy outposts and stuff. Even if it's littered with tourists. Yeah. Um, And Portugal as well. We did some herping on the Spanish... Portuguese border again. We were looking for uh, things like Vipera Latest and that sort of thing, and there is literally cowboy towns. It looks so out of place because you're in Europe, but there's a yeah. cowboy town, and I mean, there's a lot of the scenery uh, in the, like the Sierra Nevadas and stuff like that in Spain is very, very similar to Arizona. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's that sort of rocky outcrops. You know, very little green areas, big areas of sort of sand scrub and that sort of thing. Yeah. Beautiful. Very cool. Very and cool. cheap. And yeah. yeah. And you've got running up the side of Spain between the, on the border of Spain and France, you've got a mountain range, the Pyrenees, which literally runs the whole length of the border. It, it forms a natural border between France and, uh, and uh, Spain. And that is one of the weirdest mountain ranges. You know, I, I mean, I've been a lot of mountain ranges. I, I like mountaineering, but this is a green mountain range. It's really brilliant. Really? It's, it's amazing, beautiful place. It looks like something out of a film, um, but it's very narrow. So you, you've got something that's probably three, 200 miles long, Okay. but only probably 20 miles wide, but just really? like a big, big green um, mountain range. And Interesting. The, the, the unique species on there are fantastic. You need yeah. to come out. You you need to come out. Sooner than later, my friends. Sooner than later. A hundred percent. And then, of course, we've got to do some of the Greek islands to get some of the other vipers for you. We oh, just, yeah. just just come over. And we'll do a Euro. We'll do a little Euro tour. We'll get show you Amadites in the wild. 
Xanthina in the wild, Beerus in the wild. Amazing. I'm in. I'm in. So that'd be cool. So how what do you have paired up now that it's the chilly time? So I've just season's just starting. Um I've paired the I've got an absolutely huge um Clarecus female, uh, Theorist Clarecus female. She's stunning. She's an absolute beast. Um, and I put a male in with her, which I'm quite worried about because he's like a quarter of her size in real terms. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he'll get the job done. Don't get me wrong. But when you right. see the two together, you you know, they're both uh, similar age, um, but the size difference is, is phenomenal. Um, they're in... In the, they were in individual, uh, really naturalistic, life-planted uh, vivariums. For the venomous stuff, I don't do many completely naturalistic vivariums purely because of it interferes with the handling and that sort of thing. Of course, of course. Um, but because she's so, you know, Clarecus is so green and so arboreal that when they're in a cage, it's not that green. It, it's, it's not right. They, they, they look best with, you know, proper lighting and great plants around them so oh yeah i've put them two in together i will just leave them now i won't bother them at all other than to change the water bowl once a week and to spray every other day i I won't touch them um all of the um pygmies are paired up or trioed up at the minute so uh that's a beautiful pink pair of um, Cistrurus um, miliaris strickery, um, which is stunning. I'm, I'd love to get some offspring from those, that'd be really cool. I've got a, a really nice, carefully curated because it is quite easy in Europe to get um, Barbary, but I really did not just buy the cheap, easy ones. I, I, I sort of I've got some really nice examples. And I've also, and uh, I might get some hate for this, but I've also got some striped Barbarai. Good. Uh, which uh, are they reduced pattern? Uh, yeah, they're gunmetal grey with an orange stripe. Oh, um, that's awesome. They, uh, yeah, I know. I, I do. It's the only morph I have in my entire collection. Yeah, but and it goes back to: is it really a morph if it's found in the wild? Well, that's the thing. That's why I can put up with it and don't feel I'm too much of a hypocrite because yeah. it's a naturally occurring colour variation, for want right. of a better word. It's not, you know, um, but the, these are absolutely stunning. So I've got a trio of those and they're all together at the moment. Awesome. Um, squams are paired. Um, Rawdly, I are too young at the moment, uh, so I haven't paired them. Okay. Um, I'm, unfortunately, my male... Uh, Dendrophila died a little while ago, and I oh. haven't. Oh, mate, I'm gutted, but I have an absolute beast of a female. She is huge, uh, super chunky, super aggressive. I literally don't have anything to do with her at all. She's in a really big viv, and again, for most of my venomous, I like to leave it alone. I, yeah. Well, for most of my stuff, I don't get them out for Insta pictures. Or, you know, I check on them visually to see how they're doing, but I don't hook them out unless I'm cleaning or to right. do a med check. I don't hook them out. But she is absolutely huge. Um, she, uh, well, I had eggs from her before. 
Unfortunately, that male's died, so I need to try and source a male because I'd love to breed her because she's an absolutely stunning animal. Excellent. Um, uh, black and yellow or black and white? Black and yellow. Um, black and yellow, but just absolute tip-top condition. Huge for the huge for the species. Um, but yeah, she's she's pretty much left alone. What else have I got going on? Um, I was going to breed my uh, Flavicens, but I think I'm probably going to move them on. Okay. Um, same with the Nigriceps. I think a lot of the um, the Boiger I'm going to move on now. I think I'm going to go in a different direction. I won't sell the Mangrove because yeah. it, it, it was one of my childhood iconic snakes. The Mangrove snake was on all the TFH books. Of course. Know, yeah, every year. Uh, Every Asian snake book you ever see has got that on the cover, so I can't, oh, yeah. I can't, can't get rid of that. Um, but I think for most of the rear fang stuff, um, I will probably move on. Okay. Um, and just uh, my plan is uh, to just, uh, we'll probably sell the squams as well, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, I won't sell the clericus just because it's such, they're outstanding specimens, but the squams are not that uncommon. They're quite yeah. easy yeah. to get hold of. I don't yeah, know. A lot of great breeders are producing them now, both yeah. here and there and everywhere. So Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they're not taking up a great deal of room. It's, I'll see how I feel. Um, but, yeah, the rear thing stuff, to make way, I want very nice examples of Lepidus and Clowberi, so decent pairs of those. A fair trade-off. Yeah, uh, I think that's the direction because, uh, yeah, as we spoke of before, most of the direction I'm going in is North America. So, you know, temperature-wise and humidity-wise, you know, the mountain kings um, and the pines that I keep and that sort of thing. Uh, now, from, you, do you produce the flaviceps and the nigriceps? I haven't bred them yet, no. I, See, but, I feel like... It's tough, man. I feel like uh, you've worked for so long with them. I know. The, the annoying thing is I've had them since hatchlings. And yeah. They're, they're up to size, but I don't know. I'm oh, sorry. I've bred the nigriceps. I've bred the nigriceps. Okay. Um, okay. uh, babies were quite hard to get feeding, um, but I, didn't, I haven't bred the flavocents. And yeah, they are of an adult size now, or close to an adult size, but you can only have so much. You yes. know. You know, yes. my other obsession at the moment, which is largely down to you and Eric, is Australian geckos. So I've uh, moved on a lot of bigger boids so that I now have a wall of exoterras. Um, plus the Underwoodysaurus. I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to be getting knobtails. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's inevitable. I, I will be getting knobtails. Um yeah, there's more. I've got, I've got quite a few strokes now, but there's more strokes I want to get. There's more Oedura I want to get. So, yeah. But Hell venomous, yeah. yeah. But venomous wise, I'm at the minute. I'm so keen to get really nice examples, some really green uh, examples of clouds and lebs and that sort of thing. And I know, hundred percent, the minute I go and see them in Arizona, I will want you know sidewinders and stuff like that. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. That's what's gonna happen. Let yeah. me ask you. So when you have, like you said, you have some of the chlorecas paired up, the squams, <laughs> the broadly eye, <laughs> and and the pygmies as well. I mean, pygmies you don't worry about too much, depending on the enclosure. But you and I have a, a very much have an affinity for live bearing vipers, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Just live bearing stuff in general, 
And uh, I'd be very eager to see on the different on your different caging how you baby proof the cage because I can't tell you how many times I've come in the room and there's just baby squams everywhere in in the cage, of course. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I never understand that when I hear people say it. I mean, I am super anal about venomous in cages anyway. Yeah. Um, but for the squams, I use the exoteras and they're pretty, even for babies, as long as, you know, the little sliders at the back are, are secured, even I mean, baby squams aren't that small. I, I bred right. uh, Serra and those babies were tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but the squams, um, the babies, you know, they're not that small. Um, yeah. So I think Exeter is pretty safe. Um, for the bigger stuff, I use um, VivTech stuff. But I'm not sure it's what we call VivTech in Europe. I'm not sure it's the same VivTech that it's not it, in the States. No, because these are MDF. Okay. style um quite large yeah, yeah very different uh, company yeah um so most of my stuff is in large for want of a word wooden vivs and they're super secure it, it, the the uh the plastic panels in the back there's no way there's no egress for anything out of the back or anything like that okay yeah i just i get paranoid with uh you know i use a lot of vision cages obviously there's a lot of flaws yeah. that for small species um so i'm constantly using packing tape to seal off you know the pane of glass the channel on the top some of the screens in the back where the uh perforated aluminum is a little wider gauge yeah um so i get get paranoid with that but even some of the uh exoterras that have been used a lot and the open close open close open close thousands of times I feel like some of them maybe shift in the plastic or the plastic bows a little bit maybe it's from the heat lamp what have you and I feel like I'm 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 too pragmatic and I'm too paranoid that there's going to be a little gap, and the run, the runty squam is going to squeeze right through. You know? <laughs> do you so, do you use locks on your exoterras? Uh, no, I have um, I have these plastic. I mean, yes, I have these plastic pins that go through the the hole, right? Right. So you, you, a human can't open it per se, but it's not an actual locking device. It's not like a okay. com- combination locker. Uh, part of the, well, part of the licensing in the UK is I, I have combination locks on my exoterrorist for the venomous stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know whether that makes a difference or not, but um, yeah, anything venomous for, for the DWA license, you have to have a physical lock that a stranger cannot undo, if that makes sense. Okay. So, all my venomous cages have some form of lock, be it the jewelry counter style non um, sure. sliding door opener or um, combination locks on the exoterrace. Yeah. So in Florida specifically, um, it has to be a room within a room. That's the first thing. And yeah. when I get in, when I get inspected for my new room, whatever it may be, uh, I make sure the room is up to their code for escape proof. So screens on the air vents, uh, uh, bolted on night locks in the windows, uh, oh. any kind of uh, what do you call the framing of the door and the framing of the room? What do you call that? Architrave, yeah. Uh, well, all of that is is secured and double checked, there's no cracks or crevices that would go into the drywall. 
Um, if there's a closet, the closet has to be stripped out completely of all of its contents so that we can make sure there's no holes. Uh, any kind of power outlet is plugged up with the little child plugs so that a snake can't go into a power outlet. And then, wow. of course, you have a door sweep on the bottom of the door that has to maintain pressure so that nothing can slide underneath the door. Uh, key locked from the outside. Um, and then as long as all of those things are accounted for, I don't have to have locks in the cages in the room. Right. Okay. But if it's just like my bedroom per se, then it has to be locked that no one else can get into and so on and so forth. So, yeah, we have to have it has to be a brick built building. Okay. You can't have a stud wall building. It's got to be a brick built building. Okay. And it has to be, um, it has to be a room within a room. Or if it's a standalone building, it has to have a porch with a glass entrance. So, you can see into the main building. Oh wow! Okay. So, so that's why I've got I've got a separate building in the garden because the missus won't um, have snakes in the house, which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I have have to have an internal um, porch so that I can shut one door behind me, step in, see through a glass window, open that door, and step in. So there's there's two doors before the outside. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't have that simply because of where I'm living. I can't do all of that. But Scott put up a great idea when we were talking on one of the shows about how not only does he have a window on his door to look in, but his light switches are on the outside of the room and the inside of the room, so he can flip the lights on from the outside before he even touches the doorknob, which is that brilliant. Was, which is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So I'll definitely have that in my next room whatever that may be. See, I, I find it really strange that um, in America or, or various other places outside of the UK, you're in an apartment building, aren't you? Uh, I'm in a townhouse, yeah. You're in a townhouse. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have neighbours all around you. Yes. Probably with linked roofs and stuff like that, linked crawl spaces. So, yes and no. So, well, first of all, n- no, none of my neighbours know. And that's for a multitude of different reasons. Um, But I've investigated as to how the attic is connected. Like if, if I go into my attic, can I fall into or climb into my neighbor's home? And you cannot because of the concrete firewall per the South Florida building code. So if my apartment or my townhouse catches on fire, God forbid, you know, um, it won't burn down my neighbor's house in theory. You know, so in that sense, I don't worry about escapes in that regard because I also have the escape proof room. You know what I mean? Yeah, Uh, fire or something, then that kind of changes things. But yeah, no, I just find it very. And in Europe, in other countries in Europe, you can live in a multi occupancy block of flats Mm -hmm. in in a one room apartment and keep king cobras. There's no restrictions. Yeah, Um, and I just think it's really crazy that you know your neighbors. As you say, don't know what they're living amongst. But That's in, true. In the UK, you can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that. No. Um, I'll tell you one thing. I was going to mention to you. Yeah. I went for the first time in about eighteen months to one of the big European shows. Oh yeah, let's hear about it. Yeah. Um, finally, Corona restrictions were lifted because I, I don't think um, I'm not sure if people in the states realize quite how tough some of the lockdowns were um yeah i can in, i can agree with that. in the in the uk 
Um, but yeah, we was finally allowed to travel into Europe. So uh, myself and uh, Ali and a chum of mine, we drove. Um, we got we got the uh, we got the Euro Tunnel across the Channel, drove across France, drove across Belgium, and into Holland. And nice. uh, we attended the big Houghton show, um, which is it used to be the second biggest show in Europe. But I think because of Corona and various restrictions, it is now the biggest and will continue to be the biggest. Really? Um, and this show, I have to be honest, was, I mean, I used to go two or three times a year to the various shows. But this show, the, the speeches on offer were outstanding. Um, wow. The, you, know, you know, you've been to loads of shows. Instead of the normal tables and tables of royal pythons and leopard geckos and bearded dragons, they were still they were still there, but not in the same sort of numbers. But some right. of the other stuff that was available was incredible. Um, oh. Oh, it's just it was joy. I spent far too much money, obviously. <laughs> but the big problem was um, I came back and I picked up mites from somewhere at the show. One really? of I don't, yeah, I, I couldn't like whether it was one of the boxes I transported stuff in or just walking around the show. I, I obviously checked my animals that I purchased for mites before I put them into quarantine. I couldn't see any mites on them, but within about a week of coming back from the show, I had a mite outbreak in the building. Oh, jeez, um, which is a pain in the ass, absolute yeah. pain in the ass. Yeah, however, I use Taurus mites. And Did you? Oh, mate. I've used them before. When I, I think my last mite outbreak was about five years ago. Uh, and I used them then. And this time I thought, I cannot be asked with all the normal putting everything on paper. And, you know, I, we, I, I tended to use, back then, I tended to use, um, what was the chemical called? Frontline. I tended to use Frontline. Right. Right. But I've, I've I've lost some snakes, which I think were attributed to frontline before, so I wasn't keen to use that. So I bought an extra, extra large tub of live Taurus mites. And it, it arrives, and it's... Uh, do you do liters in the States? Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, well, it, it was probably about a 10-liter tub. Oh, um, wow. It, it looks, it's, it's a huge tub, it's a big yeah. tub. And it looks just like you're buying sawdust. And you think, is he just mugging me off? Have I just paid an extortionate amount of money for a box of sawdust? And he's That's just laughing crazy. at me. Because um, you can't, obviously, you can't see them. Right, right. And you literally, um, m the majority of my stuff now is in, I won't say bioactive, but it's in semi-bioactive vivs. Um, and... A lot of the stuff, particularly non-venomous, is in well-planted vivs. So to okay. get everything out would be an absolute mission. Yeah, it would be so, a nightmare. Yeah, um, and I'm using uh, it's not it's like a cocoa fiber, but it's kind of it's not the harsh cocoa fiber. It's like a really fine uh, cocoa fiber mixed in with soil in a lot of the vivs. Okay. Um, and I literally just took a handful, scooped a handful of this sawdust out, mixed it into the cocoa fiber. Um, Within two days, there was hardly any mites. It was wow. incredible. Honestly, these things are savage. They were just like a little. It literally every. I, I put um, and you know not just the snakes. I put um, the mites in with the geckos. Um, 
anything i even put some some down just in the viv floors uh, sorry in the room floors and these yeah. mites will actively just hunt snake mites and see it's crazy henry was telling me about this and i i wasn't privy to it i'd say maybe a year ago and I just, I can't understand the, like, I couldn't wrap my head around the concept that they only eat snake mites. And then when the snake mites are no more, then they just die and just become part of the bioactivity. 100%. But not only do they eat snake mites, right. they eat snake mite eggs. See, that's incredible. Which is the, which is the, the beauty of it, because you don't have to do it again. Yeah. So why are we all just doing this? Uh, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's not cheap. That's why. I okay. think this was, I can't remember exactly. I think this was about eighty-nine pound or something like that for the for the tub. Right, so but you're, you're doing an entire collection. If I wanted yeah. to get a handful of them for maybe one rack, yeah, it wouldn't. I imagine. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the downsides are once you open it, you have to use it. You can't okay. restore it. You, you know. That their lifespan is is short. If you're not feeding them snake mites, they die off. Okay. Um, so once it's open, you've got to use it probably within a week. Okay. Um, it's very expensive compared to frontline or sure. you know whatever chemical other chemicals you're using. But for ease of use and for efficiency and the fact that it's a one, you know, it's a fire and forget. You don't have to do it eight weeks later or anything yeah. like that and then you don't have to destroy your enclosure no you have to rip your enclosure apart yeah. and it's really non-invasive for the snake you're not taking the snake out and rubbing it down with frontline you know there's no harsh chemicals or anything like that it, yeah, there's no it, fumes it, you don't have to worry about ventilation yeah 100 yeah. um and so, the, the efficiency of it is incredible so the, i have so many questions and you may not be able to answer them maybe you will but like how what are they actually used for like are they they were specifically bred for herbicultures. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow. All these. My question is, where do they get them from in the first place? Yeah. How do they breed them? Because right. this is a big commercial thing. And how do they keep them alive if they're not got snake mites? Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, I, I'd very be fascinated to go to the tourist factory for want of a better word and just see the setup because like in my head yeah. i can't think of, i cannot think of the logistics of it and now you're taking a a handful of the sawdust yeah and you're sprinkling it and mixing whatever now you said they're they're macroscopic you can't see them with the naked eye no no um so how do you know you don't have them all over you <laughs> i've trust me i've had worse all over me um okay, okay. Uh, yeah, you, you basically, it's like a big drum of sawdust. I say mm -hmm. it, it's much finer than sawdust. It's like oatmeal okay. or something like that. Sure, sure. And then you just mix it all up so you've got a good spread of mites. Um, I mean, you, you, there is a little scoop thing provided, but, you know, I'm a bloke. I don't follow instructions. I stick yeah. my hand in and just chuck it in. Wow. Um, but yeah, phenomenal. I, I personally, you know, I can only go with my experience. Um, it's the second time I've used it, and it's both times it's completely eradicated mites. Excellent, excellent. We have to get we have to get on the bandwagon, man. Um, and when you th when you think about the application for 
venomous. Sure. You know, let's say you have a puff adder. Do you really want to be getting a puff adder out of its viv to wipe it down with frontline? Yeah. When you could just put some stordust in the corner of the viv and that's done. Yeah. Brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. It just makes sense. You yeah, know, I, I, I poo pooed Henry for a long time because it just seemed asinine to me. It just didn't seem real. And then the more I looked into it and the more I looked into it and the more I looked into it and I was like, Oh my gosh, it is real. And Henry's like, I told you, you should have did it. Blah, blah, blah. So, uh, I mean, I, I completely, I completely get your skepticism. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at a, a box of sawdust thinking, why have I paid so much money for this? But yeah, yeah. mites have got mites are gone. There is not a mite to be found. I'm very now, pleased to say. They only eat snake mites. So yeah. what about the like the red mites that agamids get? Would they um, is, it, is it they eat I don't know predatory mites or is it just that one specific species? I don't I don't species? I don't think it's I don't think it's species specific. Okay. I think they are general mite feeders. Okay. I think let let's say for example there was um bat mites or something like that in Yeah. I, I don't think they care. I just think they feed off of other mites. Okay. Interesting. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. I'm glad it worked yeah. out. Oh, and, and I think it's it's always so interesting where like you just tried to and again, I'm not I'm not being insulting to you, but you just tried to rationalize where the mites may have come from, right? Yeah. But you almost physically can't. Because oh, you, could have, you could have gone to the show and walked around and they were on your shoes. Oh, hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like it's it's so. I am I am yeah. careful when I come. You know these shows. I, I'm not sure the size of the shows in the states, but these shows, are, particularly Houghton, are massive. And you're walking yeah, how many around, thousand people? You think? Well, the, the last ham show had over a hundred thousand people through the door. Okay. Um, Houghton, it was. Although the show was bigger, there was less people there because it was ticket only this time. You couldn't just walk in. That's part of the uh, corona um, restrictions, um, which in real terms made it a much more enjoyable experience. There was no crowds to push through to get to a table. You could literally just wander around. Nice. Um, nice. Even even though the actual volume of uh, retailers was much bigger than normal. Um, but yeah, I was probably in the show for five hours. Oh, wow. You know how many? Uh, you know you've got people from all over Europe that have brought their their stock. There's people that have got their private stuff at home that are coming to the show. You know the the chart. Yeah. It's almost inevitable that there's going to be mites around there somewhere. Um, yeah. Normally, normally when I come back, um, I change my clothes before I go in the snake room and deposit the box. Sure. But but you can't. You know the animals are in boxes. With substrate in, it's it's almost impossible not to bring something back from a show. You can be, you know, you can try and be careful. And yeah, um, yeah. It's, um, but yeah, I, w I, you know, I, I'm not being sponsored by them. If they want to sponsor us, happy days. But uh, yeah, I, I cannot recommend them enough. You know, them enough. I don't know. If, is it available in the states, Taurus? So it, I've seen them. I, I haven't attempted to buy them, but. If you go, I think on like Amazon.com, there are several yeah. different companies that are offering it 
All right. But again, I don't know the credibility. I don't know if it's real or, or yeah. they work better than the others. So definitely send me the link to that. Or and hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Maybe we'll throw it up on the Instagram and let people look at it. Because do they internationally ship or no? I would imagine they will be. Um, the mites are good for I think a week if kept at cold temperatures. Okay. The other thing too is I know certain places that may not be allowed into the United States yeah. at all because it's yeah. considered a pathogen in some regard. Yeah. So I'd have to look I've, at I, I have a, I have a feeling you can get tourists in the States because I think I've heard okay. other other people using it. Yeah. But um yeah, I, I can't you know if you've got a reasonably large collection and you get mites, it, it's a no brainer. It really is. Yeah. And, it just makes know, sense. And it's so stress free as well, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I've had too many problems at my facility and other facilities where I've got, you know, if I'm at, you know, back in the day, you'd have 150, 200 venomous in one room. And what we did is we would use Nick's uh, lace shampoo, which I'm, <laughs> I'm not endorsing. Nobody listen to this and think, oh, Phil uses fucking noxious chemicals. No, 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 no. What we would do is we would take a single bottle of children's NYX light shampoo and we would mix it in one gallon of spring water and shake it up and shake it up and shake it up and basically break down the entire bottle of shampoo into one gallon of water and then pour that into a spray bottle and spray the animals. And it worked like a son of a gun. But if you didn't have adequate ventilation, the animal was dead by morning. Because it's just breathing in poison. And I sadly to say I've I've killed many animals on accident, some of which that were not mine, because I was unaware of the level of ventilation in whatever I was doing and and it happened. So yeah, you know, going from that old school thought process of kill it with poison to yeah. a a a legitimately bio defense in a natural way and you don't have to destroy your cage you don't have to ruin any kind of vegetation yeah. that you live planting whatever and you don't have to stress the animal out either you know 100 percent. yeah zero stress to the animal yeah um, it's a win-win i'd recommend it to anybody if you ha unfortunately have mites yeah yeah and, and that's the thing is it's it's almost better to accept that you may get it one day and at least have a plan mapped out. You know, we always talk about, especially venomous, what's your plan for this? What's your plan for that? What's your plan for this? If this is going to happen, how are you going to negotiate those obstacles, right? And one thing that we don't think about is is something as trivial and common as mites, you know? You know, and yeah. say, oh, I've, I've kept harmless snakes for many, many years, and I've dealt with mites, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, now it's on a monocle cobra, and you can't just hold it and wipe it down. I mean, yeah, you could tube it. Yeah, you could pin it, but that defeats the purpose of, of, of everything you doing, you know? So. And a, a lot, of, you know, not particularly with mites, you want to be up at the head end as well. Yeah, exactly. And for a venomous, like, you don't want to be up at the head end. So Right. All yeah. those mites in the ocular socket, 100%. all those mites in the heat pits of the face, under the yeah. gums, under the lips, you know, yeah. in the lining of the lips and the gums. Oh, horrible. Yeah, and you're gonna and you're gonna do that while it's pouring venom out of its mouth trying to <laughs> you know, defend itself. So yeah, not a great day out. Um, the other thing I've done, I've got some sexy new lights. Oh, really? Oh, mate, 
my new lights, you could grow cannabis no problem. The lights that I just got, they are nice. nice. I think they are actually probably big grow lights for cannabis factories or something like that. But oh, really? Are, yeah, they're super nice lights. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. I, I, again, you know, my, I don't wish to get on a soapbox and start irritating people. It's just my opinion, and you keep your stuff how you want to keep your stuff, everybody. But, uh, if anybody, I think, is keeping particularly Crotalus without full spectrum lighting, you know, it's not right. Yeah. So, um, I've, all my cages now um, have UVB, UVA, uh, deep heat emitters, and full spectrum lights, and the behaviour is fantastic. Awesome. Just watching them, just watching them come out of their hides, because uh, they know that the UVA is going to come on. And then when the UVB comes on, moving from the UVA to the UVB for a while, back and forth, uh, it's just beautiful. And the colours, I mean, the the visual spectrum, when you've got the full spectrum lights on your animals, they just look so much better. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's so, I cannot, I know I bang on about it, I'm probably boring the arse off of everybody, but, but just get decent lighting for your now, stuff. Yeah. In your in your room, do you have overhead lighting, like fluorescent lighting? Yes. Have you ever thought about putting the full spectrum into those overhead lights? Yes. Do you have it right now? Mm, no, but it's something that I've literally just bought new um, light holders, for want of a better word, so I can choose what tubes I put in there. And it's something I'm considering, not just, I, I've got a lot of loose stuff in the room as well. So okay. I've got five different species of gecko that live loose in the yes. building. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Some of it's intentional. <laughs> some of it hasn't been intentional. Right. Um, the um, So I've got two species of Hemidactylus. I've got Tarantola. I've got morning geckos. And I've got golden geckos. Okay. The golden geckos was completely unintentional. I don't know if anyone's, <laughs> ever, kept, don't know if anyone's ever kept golden geckos, but they are the most flighty gecko i've ever come across yep literally you open the exoteric door a centimeter and they've gone you will not see them again yeah and now i can feed them by hand um really they're just loose in the room um and if you know i know roughly their sort of territories in the room behind the vibs and that sort of thing and when i come in they know they're going to get fed so they'll sort of edge round to bank of vibs or whatever and I can hold a locust and they'll come and take a locust or something like that. Oh, that's um, incredible. And I know the kind of spots, the um, hemidactylus particularly, spend all their time on tops of banks of exoteras under the lights. Mm -hmm. And then if you chuck a little mealworm up there, they'll come out and get that. Uh, same with the tarantulas. They're, they're quite active during the day. Um, so, yeah, I think UV lights will be beneficial to them. Also, it would enable me to grow plants in there, which I'd yeah. like to do. Yeah. Um, because at the minute, my, I mean, I'm fortunate I've got a large conservatory, but my conservatory looks like Borneo at the moment. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm always getting told I need to move some of the plants out of there. So I'd like to grow some of the some of the plants in there. So it's something I consider. But um, yeah. yeah, I think people are apprehensive to do that simply because they're worried about the effects on them. They're worried about the effects on 
the plastic products they have in there and so on and so forth in terms of discoloring and warping and, you know, oh, I'm going to get cancer because I hang out in my snake room. It's like, well, it doesn't quite work like that, but I, I get where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah, I um, don't think I don't think I put like, you know, a 10 percent uv tube no no yeah, but you know exactly. one of the one of the three percent uv tubes i just think it'll be beneficial for everything sure yeah it, it physically could not hurt it can only help yeah 100 yeah. mm -hmm. um but um although non-venomous i've got some fairly large a stack of fairly large uh vibs at the at the back of my room uh, and i've got sanzinia in one pair of sanzinia in there and then very I've nice separate um Apodora, very right. large, huge Apodora, and I recently put these big grow light type things in there. Um, I've I've doubled the heat emitters in there, so they're basically I, I stole the idea from Keith at Peak. I can't lie. I've got like a wooden false bottom in there, so that they've got quite a large area that they can get underneath, and then okay. they've got sort of. Um, large areas on top of the on top of these false bottoms with the substrate on and they've got a big water that the bowl type thing and i've got two deep heat emitters and two uvb spotlights in one area okay and i never used to see the apodora out during the daytime at all and now with the u uva uvb and the deep heat emitters, they come out to bask every day. They literally curl up underneath them. So awesome. How can people say that they don't need it? They will yeah. survive without it a hundred percent. Right. But if you're looking, I mean, um, they, they look, they are shining. They look phenomenal. You know, nice, nice. Uh, yes. So uh, I, I, I think for all species, except for the nocturnal stuff, but even on my, um, like the strophorus nocturnal geckos yeah but they do really poorly without uv yeah and i feel like even on the strophes if they're they may be sleeping in the thicket but they're not necessarily completely in darkness all day long no 100 percent. i mean they're uh, still uh, going to get yeah. some kind of radiation yeah of all the geckos i think strophes probably absorb more uv than any other gecko because uh, yeah as you oh, say yeah. they they were they'll hang upside down on a twig they won't be in a crevice like oajira or something right. like that right you know and uh, yeah as i say the uh, the bush vipers have all got uv dp emitters and they're all even though they're nocturnal they'll all sit in a bush underneath the uv it's yeah. um, it's a must i think um when it comes to things like serastes i don't know if it's as beneficial because I've never seen those out in the day, either in captivity or in the wild. They are buried all the time. So I can't see that UV is super important for those. But um, even the fanfoots, I've got fanfoot geckos. Right. And they're, they're out under the uh, deep heat lights. Nice. Good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah, I've noticed that my Serastes will, they will hug the side that has the light but not because of the light, but because that's the hotter side hot during spot. the day. And then once it's nighttime, they've come away from it and they go to the cool side. So it's very much, uh, uh, they do what I almost expect them to do. 
and you can see where they were buried in the sand because they assumed that it was going to get hotter or maybe it was too hot and they wanted to you know lower their temperature slightly um but then at night they've abandoned that and they're completely uncovered and cruising around the cage all night so it's very have you ever have you ever uh done a temp stat of the actual temperature of the sand underneath the light i just want i just wonder what sort of temperatures it was getting up to oh so i have it it's a very it's messed up i have to fix it it's not what i like it to be right now and the only reason why i haven't fixed it yet is because it is winter um and i want to keep the temps a little down but i have the temperature set to be 100 degrees fahrenheit on the hot spot with a 16 to 17 degree night drop but the night drop doesn't start until probably nine or ten o'clock at night. I have to look at the timer. I can't remember. So it's it 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 gets the lights come on before the heat, and the heat stays on longer than the lights, just to emulate the yeah. the, the the radiantness of the desert. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know if I have a, a a wiring issue or maybe my my thermostat isn't reading correct i mean it's obviously reading correctly but isn't functioning correctly it's only getting to 89 on the on the hot spot so ideally come june or july i need to have that corrected so i can get it to 100 105 where i want it to be um so i have not tested i have not put a thermometer in the sand under the surface right um, I also don't have enough sand in there that I think would really make a difference. Right. Simply because they're in Cambro tubs. Yeah. And it's a lot of weight. Yeah, 100%. It's a lot of weight. So, yeah, yeah the, the the question that you asked, I have thought about copious amounts of times. I just haven't actually answered it yet because things are wonky. Right. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I have actually seen Serestes out hunting at 13 degrees really yeah i wish i don't know what the conversion is for that but it's Should not like 60 something hold on yeah so that would be yeah 55 degrees fahrenheit so i was close yeah um where we didn't expect to see anything out at all and yet that, that there was serastis vipera out yeah well i was shocked as when i got them uh I, I started, you know, diving into the different uh, weather stations across the Near East, and it was very much uniform 60, 58 Fahrenheit, so right around 14, 13 Celsius yeah. um, every night for the past month. Uh, yeah. So, in theory, I'm keeping them too warm. I mean, they're perfectly fine. They're eating, they're pooping, they're, they're striking, yeah. they're, they're doing what they do, but next year... I'm going to do my damnedest to try and get it down more considering that everything in the room now, it's all either Middle Eastern, North African or extreme Southern Africa. And both of which get cold, real cold. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm far enough from the equator, so to speak, that I can <laughs> yeah. really drop stuff. And I think that'll actually help too with um, uh, the uh, pyromelina um, as well as uh, uh, subox and I'm trying to think what else I have that can, that would want some cold, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, I mean that is the trouble. Oh. You know, when, when people are keeping Asian stuff, African stuff, European stuff, you can't keep it all in the same room. Yeah, because yeah. you're not going to get you know you're not going to get your temperatures low enough if you're trying to keep the Asian stuff happy, unless it's yeah. montane Asian stuff, obviously. Right. 
Right. And now the only there's so as of this point in time right now, there's only two North American species in my snake room. Everything else is African, African or Middle Eastern. And that's a Gila, one Gila monster and one pygmy rattlesnake. And both of them will not care in the least bit. Oh, I get that room into the 60s. So, yeah, certainly not the healers. I used to yeah. take my healers down into the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. That's cool. So what are your, uh, have you got plans for this season? No, man, everything's still too small or I'm, I want to get them more established. So wrinkles, I want to monitor them and watch them and just soak up as much about them as I can. And hopefully next autumn, actually cool them. I want to get a better chiller because the chiller I have is way too small. I realized that after I purchased it, it's perfect for, uh, you know, a few beers, but <laughs> to put bags or tell or deli containers of snakes, it, it's not going to work. Um, so I have to figure that out. Uh, and then uh, Marcus and I have, we're, I think it's 28. No. Yeah. 28 Sarasti Sarastis in total. And we have to go through and see what the sex ratio is. And then I want to pick out, the choice specimens for pairing so that way come uh again come like august september start to put stuff together even before the temp drop because i really want them to get used to being with each other um and then start that the the fieldy they have a long time before i before they're big enough that i would be comfortable breeding them um my squam and gara i've abandoned because they suck Uh, (laughs) they're literally they i Sometimes I look at it like I've probed them too. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a pair and they just, I, I don't care. I've given up on it. They're just pretty pets. Um, and then as for Bittus, I missed a window to do uh, Tanzanian puffs this past, what, we're in January now. So this past November, December, I missed a really good window just because of work and family and people getting sick and everything else. So I'm going to not worry about that. And then hopefully come again, October, November, try and do some puff adder stuff as well, just for shits and giggles. Um, I'm waiting for these damn lasses Fuscus to grow more. <laughs> I know no, my- Billy Hunt's chomping at the bit for me to breed some waters. I just put mine. I've got a trio of fog dams and yeah. I just, I just, literally just put those together um they're five years old now awesome awesome unrelated five years old so we should see if we get anything out of that that would be lovely good Uh, Good. yeah i also put the mac lots together they're about five years old as well that's just what the which is what the world needs more angry bitey snakes 100 percent 100 percent yeah the one i'm most nervous about as i say i should probably put them together this weekend is the apodora yeah. So you've got you know two 12, 13 foot snakes going in together, which may literally the strongest snakes in the world. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. The only snake that I've—I mean, I've kept retics before, but these are the only snakes I've had that pushed the glass out of vivariums before, just by oh, yeah. you know coiling next to it. They're, they're just ridiculous. Having said that, uh, a chum of mine who we are still trying to get onto this show, but he's he's he's, he's a very busy chap, Pete Gibbons. Um, he brought me a King Cobra to show me the other day that he just Oh, bought. nice. He was literally, he wasn't just driving it around. He was literally on the way back from um, from collecting it. 
and that was a li- a, such an awe-inspiring snake. Um, oh yeah. It, it was by far the biggest venomous snake I've ever seen in the flesh. Yeah. Um, it, I would say it was probably, oh, now go for 10 foot, maybe 12 foot. It, nice. And super thick in the middle. You know, it, it was as, as thick as an arm. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's, Do you know what locality it was? Uh, I don't. I don't okay. have to say. Okay. Uh, Pete's got quite a, quite a, I mean, we'll talk to him. We will get him on. Pete's collection is phenomenal and he's got so many cobras. Like yourself, he's really into the hood tat, which to be honest, as you know, they all look the same to me. And, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, it's only a snake that's interesting when it's pissed off. So it's not a great one to keep. So, um, <laughs> all right. All right. But to see. It. Yeah, to, to see the king cobra with the size of its head as well. I mean, a venomous snake with a head that big. It's got like a head the size of a retic. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, and, and it just looks at you like you're a piece of shit. It's it just, does. It's bizarre. It, yeah, it just looks right through you. It knows it could just top you if it wanted it with no trouble whatsoever. And it's yep. just so, so chilled out. Um, but yeah, what a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to see. I'd never keep them myself. I mean, uh, yeah, not for yeah, me. Yeah, I've, got, I've actually got two chums that, that keep them, but they have dedicated like room size vivaria for them. Of course, which, the way it should which is, be, which is the only way you can do it, really. Yeah, the, well, that's but, the, that's the only way that you would ever be able to do it correctly, and yeah. And, that's how I feel every time I go over Henry's house. Cause yeah. you know, he he's perpetually showing me bigger and better enclosures that he's designing with some of the leading cage manufacturers out there. And it, that shit adds up real quick, you know? Oh yeah. hundred percent. I so, mean, but if you have to do it, if you want to do it right, you have to do it. hundred percent. But it's just a food bill for something like that. Well, and that's the other thing too, is before Henry ever gets another specimen, he's got two years of storing frozen prey items yeah. before he actually pulls the trigger you know yeah 100 percent. yeah it's, it's, so. it's definitely i mean i you know i'm fascinated by them i think they are absolute top of the range apex venomous snakes but yeah they're not for me i know my limitations i don't want anything you know it's, it's bad enough dealing with an apodora yeah of, of that size but there isn't the inherent risk of being envenomated by it. It's a, you know, it's right. a completely different kettle of fish. But you know, yeah, and, and your Epidora are tame, right? Oh no, they're absolute fuckers. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, they're they're both. Um, I got them both as wild caught adults. Um, probably, <clears throat> I got the uh, the female. For some reason, it's much easier to get females. Males are very rare to come across. Um, I got the female probably seven years ago. And I've had the male for about five years. And um, oh, by far my favorite non-venomous snakes. They are so nice. intelligent, you know, they're just incredible. You know, they eat scrubs in the wild. They're just phenomenal snakes. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. Um, so cool. But no, they're not, I wouldn't describe them as tame. They're, 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 they're like retics. They could be cage defensive, but once they're, they're out. They're tolerant of you. Yeah, they're tolerant. But, you know, tolerant. it's. It's one of the few snakes that I will say to Ali, I'm, I'm getting these out now. If I'm, you know, if I'm not back in in a little while, do come and look for me, sort of thing. Because oh yeah, they are ridiculously strong, ridiculously yeah. strong. But uh, yeah. 
everyone should have one. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I, I'm not a big snake guy, man. I never was. I've had retics. I've had berms. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with a lot of king cobras over the years, and I think that's what did it. it was like I'm too short and rotund to do this <laughs> correctly. So. Yeah. That's why I've always been a Morelia guy, and now I have the Fuscus, and that's my my first my first. It's my first time personally keeping Liasis, and I think I went about it right because my Queenslands are puppy dog tame. They have a feeding response from hell, but they're yeah. puppy dog tame. They don't care if I manhandle them and move them around, whatever. And uh, I think I was a good intro to that world because I know that if I had just gotten you know White Lips or Sawus. I would just get annoyed and angry. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I've, I've so. had Savos before. I wouldn't keep them again. I'm, I'm only keeping the Maclots because I've had them since hatchlings, and I just want to try and breed Maclots because I've never done it. But right, they are, what, they like are. you're going to do with the uh, with the Nicosaps. <laughs> yeah, well, the Flavocens. Yeah, the we yeah. We shall see. We shall see. Um, I mean, part of me there's a little voice at the back of my head that's saying, "Get some mansions, get some mansions," but you could do it, man. With uh, your climate, you could do it. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't know. Do I want a big venomous? I don't know. No. And that's that's the thing, too, is I think you would be just knowing you as my friend, knowing how you think, I feel like you would get annoyed that you didn't have the space 100%. to give them the justice. Yeah, 100%. If you had a spare, a spare brick building in your garden. Yeah. And where it had a ventilation system to the outside world, bring it, piping in that nice cool breeze, that nice yeah. hot, that high humidity, cold rain that you always talk about. Yeah. Pipe that in, and you had two animals in that room in you know yeah, 12, that 12 yeah. by ten enclosures. Then yeah, you could do that's it. the way to do it. Yeah. I feel like you would be disappointed in yourself because you physically couldn't do it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see you know mansions in a, a six by two by two or something. It's, it's right. not right. You know, yeah. I mean, people do that. That's absolutely fine. That's that's great. But no, you're right. It's it's not for me. I, I'm I'm interested in keeping stuff outside. Um, I've got some big, um, nice enclosures out. Well, I say big, like six foot high um, enclosures outside, which are empty at the moment. Um, so that's a, that's a potential thing. I've got I've got a lot of smaller ones with um, European lacertids in. But it might be nice to uh, try some Vipira Berus outside. That's probably uh, I've got a chum who's just was very successful last year. He's got an awful lot of babies that are overwintering at the moment. So uh, might try some Vipira Berus outdoors because they do really well outside. I think just, you need to. Yeah, they just don't do well when indoors. And as, as that is probably my uh, favourite snake in the world, just in terms of field herping and keeping it's uh i've got to give it a go at least once sure all right and yeah. do you do you, where you are are they more of the bluish color or are they jet black or i'm quite i'm, I'm spoiled um where i live there's there's good populations of the normal color phases the the browns and, and the lights with the zigzags but where my um, other houses there is populations that have blue specimens in really healthy population of melanistic ones 
and the ones I put, the ones that we euphemistically call in the UK silver bullets, and they are there's an area. Um, I won't give the exact location, but there's an area of a place called Queendown, and it's got a population of the most silver-looking uh, bearers. Wow. So really nice reflective silver scales, but with a really thick jet black, like jet black zigzags all the way down the back. Oh, and incredible. They're, they're lovely. I did put some pictures on Instagram a little while ago, um, which I hope you liked, um, of a couple of um, males that I found uh, in, in the year just gone. Again, if you pop over to the UK, I can take you to some phenomenal bearer sites. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Gotta, we're going to do it, man. We're going to do it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just talk, man. We're going to fucking do it. Well, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a plenty of spare rooms. Um, just come out, mate. All you've got to do is get, literally, it's just your airfare. Once you're here, it's nil cost to you. I will feed you. I will get you drunk. I will ply you with all manner of things and we will just, I can show you all the UK herps and then we can pop over to Europe on the Eurostar. What's not Excellent. to love? What's not to love? What's, What's not, not to, to love? love? Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh man. Well, anything else you wanted to touch base on before we wrap this episode up? Uh, no, I was just going to briefly mention uh, we've got some new laws starting in the UK now. So, the UK is going to be more like America than it has been for a long time in terms of importing and exporting animals. Really? That's, that's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. I think um, it's already just pushing prices up massively. I really do think we will be like the American model rather than the European model by next year. So really? whereas whereas before, you know, the Europeans never bothered about lineage, Prices were really cheap. There was loads of easy imports. Um, there was loads of smuggled stuff. I think we will be more like America in it will be mainly captive bred stuff and not imports anymore. Um, but yeah, prices are already noticeably going up. And wow. anything that CITES will be not impossible to, to get into the UK now. But it will be it will be an absolute mission. Whereas before, like you know, if I went to the show at Ham or Hamburg, I could buy anything CITES one, CITES two or three, really? and all I all I, all I would need would be the A10 certificate to bring it back into the UK. Wow! Wow! Now, yeah, now, uh, as of I think, uh, you know, as as of the first of, of January, we have officially we need an import and an export permit. So that means the breeder, say in Germany, has to complete an export permit and I have to complete an import permit. So that means a lot of money outlay for the exporter, money outlay for me before the snakes even change hands. And there's no more just going to a show, wandering around with some cash in your pocket and thinking, oh, that looks nice. Because yeah, wow. these forms can take like eight weeks to uh, get your certification. That's so it's it's really, really changed um, the hobby in the UK. And what what brought this on? Um, Brexit. We're no longer part of Europe. We are, you know, we're Great Britain on our own. Um, I think our alliances going forward will be, you know, closer to the US than they will be um, Europe. Right. Um, so, yeah, as we're no longer part of Europe, to bring stuff, well, 
geographically, but um, politically, as we're no longer part of Europe, um, I think getting stuff in and out, it, it, it's already noticeable. There's no sighty stuff coming back from shows or being imported. It's, it's going to be really difficult. Wow. Wow. Sorry, I was just going to say, and with... Um, I think it. I think it's really, really well known that Australia is about to um, make a lot of its animals sighties in terms of reptiles, whereas before you could just go to Australia, pick up. Sorry, you could just go to Europe, pick up some knobtails, pick up some oedipus, pick up some carpet pythons. Well, if they become sighties, you're going to need import and export permits, even from Europe. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wouldn't matter because our fish and wildlife in the states is so not on the same page that you know one office says sure bring them in the other office says no they're protected and it doesn't matter if yeah. they are or not you know your animals just got confiscated so i feel your pain yeah. sir i i yeah I it's, feel your pain. it's interesting times as i say i think a lot of switched on people in the uk are sort of future proofing their collections um i think why so much money changed hands and i spent a lot of money at the last show is you kind of need to get what you want to keep, you need to get it now rather than think I'll do that in two or three years' time. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting times, mate. Interesting times. Very well. On a lighter note, uh, we're going to try and do these and put them out for the first Sunday of every month. Um, if you have any questions about our shows, we have an email. It's venomexchangeradio at gmail.com. Feel free to send Nipper and myself questions, comments, concerns. And uh, we are up on Spotify, Google Plus, Apple Podcasts, <clears throat> excuse me, and the RSS, the R, wow, I can't talk today, the RSS feed. So definitely check it all out. Um, I wish I had more things to talk about, but I don't. But thank you for listening. That's grand. Thank, thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate, we both appreciate your time. You could be listening to anything, even stuff on ball pythons, but you're here, <laughs> which we appreciate. Um, if anybody's bored, do check out my Instagram because I would love to get over 500 uh followers i'm about 480 at the moment so you, sh you shouldn't have said that because by the time this airs i'm gonna get you to a thousand um mate that'd be amazing um i've been a bit slack because i haven't been field herping because of uh corona but as soon as i get back out field herping there'll be a lot more um reptiles photographs on there it's normally mostly vipers but there are other things on there but uh, no thanks a lot folks and um Tell your friends, subscribe, give us a five-star rating on Spotify. That would be grand. And we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>